Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bow, and Pastor Adam Osier begin their discussion on Article 16 of the Augsburg Confession. Being Lutheran is sponsored by the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary. Whatever your vocation is, start here, go anywhere, grounded in God's Word. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I'm Pastor Brett Bow, and I'm joined by... Pastor Jason Goodham. And Pastor Adam Osier. All right, welcome back. We're on to a new slate of episodes on uh, Article 16 of the Augsburg Confession and the Apology. And speaking of apologies, let's just get that out of the way in advance. (laughs) (laughs) The next four episodes, we are going to be talking about perhaps the hot-button issue in modern American Christianity. Uh, It's Christianity in Society and the church uh, in culture, and the church in politics. This is what this is all about. Mm -hmm. And and what's so interesting, 500 years separating us from the Augsburg Confession, more or less, is that 500 years ago, Melanchthon was writing positively about the church's involvement Hmm. in culture and society. And uh, a, a church that has been conditioned by the separation of church and state... Mm-hmm. Uh, for for yay or nay on that, and, and I happen to lean that it's probably a good thing for mm-hmm. uh, a democracy, uh, the church has no idea today how to interact with culture or mm-hmm. how to interact with politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as much as it's hot button, it's probably good that we talk about it, that, you know, to maybe uh, clarify some issues and to uh, try to figure out uh, how we can live out this life in this way. I think that's the healthiest way to go about it. I think if we stop talking about it, I think that's where it becomes more of an issue. I think we need to to have open and honest dialogue about the relationship. And and like you said, it was different then, uh, different forms of government, a different type of government, right, that they had than we do. Uh, and we can talk about how that plays out. But. Mm-hmm. I, I just want to go on the record as just saying I'm going uh, I'm to try and be as milk toast as possible <laughs> so that Jason can get all of the flack for things that he might say that could uh, rile up some of the listeners here. This is the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I might have some issues trying to wrangle you guys in on yeah. this episode. Brett's we'll going to be doing the, yeah, the, right. the cut sign. No, it's yeah. this will be this is the perfect environment to talk about it if we maintain. Um, the the fact that this is what we stand for mm-hmm. instead of what we stand against. You know, good theology is going to be the answer to a lot of conflict and a lot of error mm-hmm. in, in what we have going on in the church today. So, yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. All, right. All right. Well, let's jump in. Uh, I better start reading this. It's a, This article is a little bit longer than some of the more recent ones. And uh, so this is uh, Article 16 on civil government. And it says, It is taught among us that all government in the world and all established rule and laws were instituted and ordained by God for the sake of good order, and that Christians may, without sin, occupy civil offices or serve as princes and judges, render decisions and pass sentence according to imperial and other existing laws, punish evildoers with the sword, engage in just wars, serve as soldiers, buy and sell, take required oaths, Possess property, be married, etc. All right, that's good. Can be married. Uh, condemned here are the Anabaptists who teach that none of the things indicated above is Christian. Also condemned are those who teach that Christian perfection requires the forsaking of house and home, wife and child, and the renunciation of such activities as mentioned above. 
Actually, true perfection consists alone of proper fear of God and real faith in God. For the gospel does not teach an outward and temporal, but an inward and eternal mode of existence and righteousness of the heart. The gospel does not overthrow civil authority, the state, in marriage, but requires that all these be kept as true orders of God, and that everyone, each according to his own calling, manifest Christian love and genuine good works in his station of life. Accordingly, Christians are obli- obliged to be sub- subject to su- civil authority and obey its commands and laws, and all that can be done without sin. But when commands of civil authority cannot be obeyed without sin, we must obey God rather than men. Acts 5.29. All right, that's that's Article 16 of the Augsburg Confession. There we go. Yeah, great stuff there. Yeah, I think that the key phrase that we pull out of that is, you are free to do whatever is necessary to be done so long as it's done without sin, so right. long as it's not a direct violation of the Word of God. And, and that's really where the church you know, gets lost in the weeds today mm-hmm. is is this idea that there's only one right way to do politics, that there's only one right way to serve or participate in culture, that that mm-hmm. there's we have in, in the nineties are my convenient whipping boy for when this heart started, but it, it goes back farther than that. But the the Christianizing of activities is, is really at, <laughs> at the root cause mm-hmm. of where all this conflict and all these problems are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think at that point, it becomes kind of a, a misunderstanding of the two kingdoms. Yeah. And, and an un, um, unbiblical, really, un, unbiblical blending of the two kingdoms in such a way that they're not distinct. And I think that becomes a problem as Christians as well. And I think that's a statement I said I was going to be milk toast. I think that's a statement <laughs> itself that's going to be a yeah. little bit, you know, offensive to some people. Uh, we are not a theocracy, right? Uh, in you know, that's not how uh, our, our country, you know, in the United States is run. And we have to be cognizant of that. Mm-hmm. And I think your, your whipping boy of the 90s is an apt um, illustration of, of how that you know, kind of became an issue, right, in the history of our country and the history of our, our church mm-hmm. contemporarily. Well, you, you you trace back what we're what the fallout of what we're going through right now to politically to the moral majority of the seventies, mm-hmm. but but even beyond that, I, I think the big issue is that we are not a theocracy. And, and uh, I mean, th- there's all sorts of big topics that we're going to be talking about yeah. with this article. You, you've already brought up two kingdoms, but but uh, another one of the issues that you know maybe we hadn't even prepared to talk about is this this concept of theonomy. Mm-hmm. That is the rule of the Christian moral law. There's there's been uh, uh, several theonomists that it really started at the beginning of the 20th century, give or take. If I'm you know like Jordan Cooper's out there just rolling his eyes at me for my lack of <laughs> grasp of, of theological <laughs> yeah, history. Right. But uh, one of the one of the main early uh, theonomists was a guy by the name of Rush Dooney, and and that all of the Mosaic laws and all of the everything uh, Christian law applies to all of society. That mm-hmm. we should try to have a particularly Levitical Jewish society that is governed by Leviticus and Deuteronomy and things like that. And, and that's one of the issues is that uh, when we misunderstand the law. We not only lose the gospel, mm-hmm. but we lose Christian freedom, right? Hmm. All right. And you, you get this idea that Christ came to fulfill the law. Christ is the end of the law, uh, which frees us as Christians 
to love our neighbor in different environments. And, and one mm-hmm. of the things we've talked about several times, especially in the recent past on this podcast, yeah. is if your brand of Christianity makes it impossible for someone else in an entirely different context to be a Christian, there's something wrong with that. That uh, American Christianity only makes sense to Americans. What right. does that mean for the Christian in Baghdad? Or what does that mean for the Christian in Moscow? Or, or, or the Christian in Mumbai? Right, mm-hmm. and and that's the error of American Christianity is is that we're trying to Christianize mm-hmm. American culture, and then make that a universal norm for every other Christian at all other times and in all other places. Tim Keller tells the story, and and we can go in a lot of different different directions with Keller himself on this issue. Some of which I I would not agree necessarily with Keller, but one of the stories he tells is of this. Uh, I believe it was a Presbyterian in the South. I might be wrong on the South because I can't envision many Presbyterians being in the South. <laughs> uh, only Baptists there, but uh, this Presbyterian, very uh, very conservative fellow, very you know very much a capitalist in his mindset of you know how the how the country should run economically. And and everything and and had an opportunity to go to I think Scotland, um, and and he was there and then he went somewhere else. He was in Europe. He went to Scotland, you know, with the whole Presbyterian background. He went somewhere where there was a strong socialist presence, and he found this uh, brother in Christ, and found that they were lockstep theologically in in you know in line with the gospel, trusting the same the same uh, doctrine and everything else, and then finds out that this person's a socialist and didn't know what to do with himself. <laughs> you know, couldn't believe that there could possibly yeah. be a Christian socialist out there somewhere, and and understanding how that you know that just doesn't you know our, our American system doesn't jive everywhere. You know. And, and, and we should be clear here, in, in this is a, a, an article that it's a permissive article. That's what it's about. That's it's what allowing gonna, us to participate right. in society. Yeah, you know, for us in our current state, we maybe need to say what we shouldn't be doing uh, as a church in terms of, you know, civil government. But here, for them, they were uh, almost... Uh, they're giving, being given permission to do all these things. I love this list in the in this article mm. of of all the different ways to serve and to participate, um, and, and it almost seems like we we need that today. But it, maybe we need more of like what we maybe shouldn't be doing to mix the, the two kingdoms as much. Well, well, and that's the problem with these permissive lists, yeah. right? Is that it sooner or later, it it allows one to step over the line, right? And, and, you know, like one of the things we can say, the Bible does not prescribe an economic system, right? The, the, right. It, Hezekiah 14.12 does not say thou shalt be a capitalist. Right. That being said, on the other side of things, you can make both secular and I believe sometimes religious arguments that certain systems of government certain economic systems, certain social systems are better and more consistent with Christian principles. You, you can make those arguments. Right. I, I think you can make a sound biblical argument that capitalism at its best, it brings more dignity to human life than, than the expressions that we've seen of socialism mm-hmm. or of communism or of fascism, right? Right. And there's theological reasons for that. You yeah. know, the, the idea of vocation and rightly understood, you know, I think Veith talks about this, right? Where he talks about the nature of, you know, how everybody points to the, you know, the, 
early colony days, right? And the, the Puritans came over and they're, you know, the, the story that's passed along is that the Puritans are there to uh, go about, um, you know, proving their salvation, right? So their economic success um, was something that was able to be evidence that God had smiled upon their favor. He says, that's not it at prosperity. all. Prosperity? Yeah, <laughs> prosperity, uh, kind of, right? No. And that's exactly what it was. And you hear that narrative sometimes. And V said, no, he said it was vocation. Right. He said it was absolutely vocation. They understood that they had a calling in life to serve. And that's that's why we can say, mm-hmm. certainly, you know, you could say and make a good argument for the case that capitalism is... A, a good and, and a best system, but it's not without flaws. It's not without flaws, and it's not the only system. And there is a massive difference on this spectrum between a prosperity gospel that says my material prosperity is the expression of my faith and a desire to be successful so that you can use the wealth God has blessed you with to serve and bless others, right? Mm-hmm. right. There, there, there is a good argument to be made that the church needs wealthy people to fund missions. Yeah. Uh, to, I mean, uh, a church with resources is a dangerous thing in the mind of Satan because the more people they can reach, you know, mm-hmm. right. a, a church with the gospel is the most dangerous thing. So a tiny congregation like mine is is just as much of a threat to the kingdom of of Satan, if you will, because we have the gospel, uh, than a mega church with you know infinite amount of resources that way. But right. but that you know, in one sense, as a radio guy, <laughs> caveats are are the death of an interesting conversation because we <laughs> caveat ourselves to death. Uh, on the other side of things, it's necessary because human history on this topic all the way back into biblical times has been one case of the pendulum swinging too far in one direction and then the overreaction just perpetuating this thing of us missing the mark mm-hmm. on what's being talked about mm-hmm. here, right? You know, again, a permissive article says Christians are free to hold political office, yeah. to serve as judges, like judicially speaking, not yeah. don't judge kind mm-hmm. of a thing, but to, as actual judges, uh, to, to serve as lawyers, to serve in law enforcement, to serve as soldiers, mm-hmm. to, to serve in commerce and in business. Uh, to yeah. own real estate, you know, even to be married, yeah, which and, was something being <laughs> rejected by the Radical Reformation. Right. Yeah, and it, that's, those are the types of things that, that grab my attention in just thinking about this article today as well. Is, you know, I think if you were to talk to the normal, everyday Christian or even Lutheran, if you were to talk about what's your place in civil society or civil government, they probably would just say, you know, I vote and, and kind of leave it at that. But there's uh, so much more here that's involved uh, as we participate in it. Yeah, you can really argue from the inverse of what's being said here, that if it's permissible for Christians to hold political office, the inverse is that then we need Christians to be politicians. We need Christian politicians. We need Christian judges. We need Christian lawyers. Not, again, because we're trying to Christianize the office, but because we would recognize, biblically speaking, Mm -hmm. that a Christian is the best equipped to recognize God's order in creation and apply God's wisdom on this horizontal mm-hmm. playing field that we all exist on in the left-hand kingdom. I think, yeah, and I think the big thing to remember there is that the the whole idea of the church uh, and the state separation, right? So the Christian holding the office of, say, governor, for instance, uh, can do so Christianly. There are going to be decisions that come up in which 
he has to make decisions and his faith should guide him. It should, absolutely, should guide him in that decision. What we're not saying, what we have to be careful about saying in this is that they are not trying to make the governor's mansion the new congregation. Yeah. Right. Or or the head of the new congregation, head of the new church body, kind of, so to speak. The, the mayor or the governor or the senator or the president is not the pastor of the capital P people. Right. right. That that's a that's a big idea. And but uh, on political issues, it's what I think we want Christians thinking about political issues. Yeah. The, the great example of this is abortion. You know that a a Christian should have a consistent pro life ethic based on God's created word, God's created order in society what the word of God says about killing and about loving our neighbor. Now, now what has happened, and, and here's our second kind of cringe moment, you know, be careful, Jason. <laughs> uh, uh, most of the political right versus the political left has become an argument about pro-choice and anti-abortion. Mm-hmm. And, and where Christian wisdom steps into that is that Pro-life is, yes, absolutely anti-abortion, but it is so much more than that, that the the criticisms against the anti-abortion movement are valid and the church should be standing up. We should be loving and providing for single mothers. Mm -hmm. We should be holding, uh, you know, deadbeat dads accountable. Uh, We should be elevating the the ideal of the nuclear family Mm -hmm. uh, in society because it's better. Now, it's not the only way, but it's, it, God built the entire structure of human government on the existence of family, right? Right. And, and to be a pro-life Christian is so much more than to want to pursue anti-abortion laws. And I think just as a side note and as a point of clarification, there are a lot of ministries that are doing just that. That um, aren't in the national spotlight exactly. or the local spotlight. Yeah, we, we get the people who... You know, we get the pictures of the people putting up, you know, pictures of aborted fetuses and things along those lines. Uh, And I really struggle with that mentality. And I know a lot of people have done that and people I, you know, trust brother and sisters in Christ. But at the end of the day, there are a lot of people who are serving in that way. Uh, I think the the, another and this kind of goes a little bit of a different direction, but similar line is, you know, I think it was Tim Kaine, maybe, who was running for when he was running for vice president, you know, has said personally, I might be misquoting this. It could be somebody else. If I am, somebody can write I, in I and tell us. I know where you're going with this, and but, it mostly doesn't matter because yeah, the line's been used so many times. Exactly. But, you know, I personally believe this, but this is, you know, publicly, this is the way I have to vote in different things. And, and what that's wrong, too. <laughs> that's, President Biden's. Yeah. yeah well, him said recently. Yeah. 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 Yep. And that's a, uh, I think that's a misunderstanding of the Christian's vocation as that Christian is filling an office, mm-hmm. such as, well, president in the case of, of President Biden. Well, in, in the way to refute that kind of easy way out mentality is just to change the stakes. Well, I personally wouldn't kill anyone, but who am I to say that someone else doesn't have a good reason for murdering someone? Right. You know? And again, this isn't to be uncompassionate that... that uh, Women put in a position where, you know, in an abortion is an appealing option are the people who deserve to have the most compassion poured out on them by the church. Mm-hmm. The, 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 the real fear of what it would be to raise a child on your own while you have to provide for that yeah. child and yourself. All of these things are areas that the church can step into society 
be the church and have a good benefit to society. And I think really this list that Melanchthon came up with yeah. in the middle of it is, is what that's all about. Right. How can we yeah. as Christians impact the world around us for good mm-hmm. without being obsessed about a culture war, without right. being obsessed about the dominant voice? This is, yeah. you, you identified it, and we're going to go there, and, and which is good because we haven't talked about vocation in a really long yeah, time. Right. Like, th- this article is all about yeah. vocation. It's a right. matter of vocation, is that how can we go out as Christians and love our neighbors well? Mm-hmm. And, and you get a little sense that the people that originally heard this uh, article were blessed by that teaching of vocation. There's this line from the Apology on this article that says, uh, very many good people working in the state and in business have declared that they have been greatly benefited by, the, by it. And you almost get the sense of like, yeah, wow, in freedom, uh, I'm able to serve and bless my neighbor uh, in these ways. And I, I, that was just kind of fun to think about those people reading this and saying, yeah, this is good that I'm involved in this way and, and uh, serving. Well, the doctrine of vocation brings a ton of peace and yeah. a ton of freedom. Yep. That's right. You know, it's just this idea that, that God is at work mm-hmm. in all of these different institutions. I think we like to over-spiritualize and super-spiritualize things, but recognizing, yeah, absolutely, this would have been a breath of fresh air, yep. you know, and uh, just a drink of cold water on a hot day for these people. Hmm. Well, and, and, and that hits the nail on the head. Maybe a good place for us to end and yep. round this back is how much of what we're dealing with today in the modern generic American church is the exact same environment that people found themselves under the bad teaching of the Roman Catholic Church during the Reformation is that there's a super spiritual way to do things mm-hmm. and there's a mundane, crass way to do things. And one of these is better, right? In, in, in Luther's day, you had to be a priest, monk, or nun, or, mm-hmm. or you, were, you had an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally know pastors who became pastors out of a guilt well, a, a, an earnest desire to serve the Lord and a guilt that the only way to do that was to be in full-time ministry, mm. right? Mm. And, and we know people, uh, all of us in this room know people who have gone on missions trips for that very same reason. Or as pastors, I guarantee every one of us in this room has had someone in our church who serves to the point of burnout because of guilt. Right. Mm. And, and to see the freedom in the students' eyes here at the college yeah. where I'm you know, dealing with students, and I mentioned that, how many of you feel like you're not actually serving the Lord and, unless you're going on, you know, going to fly and getting that mountaintop experience as yeah. fly is our, is our church body's youth convention, or, or going to um, you know, these you know, missions trips or different things, and everybody's raising their hand, yep, that's what I think, yeah, that's what I think. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe you can realize that there's this thing called vocation. Yeah. You explain it and you watch the peace roll over them. Yeah, and honestly, it's right. true. I mean, it's, it's amazing yeah. to watch. Well, or, yeah. or honestly today, free Lutheran or otherwise, how many women's ministries are designed to make women feel super spiritual when, when we should be celebrating stay at home moms and, and, you know, mothers raising babies in the home or, or mothers homeschooling or mothers working to support their family. And, and we are starving women in our congregations with cotton candy when they need the life-giving nourishment of the word of God mm. and good theology, like the doctrine of vocation. Mm. Yeah. Oftentimes I think of that passage in um, it's in Matthew where Jesus is telling the sheep and the goats, you know, when you saw me, yeah. you know, I was hungry. I, 
I mean, read mother into that, into all those examples, you know, except for the prison thing. I mean, for some other, I suppose. Uh, But, you know, with that whole idea of when I was naked, you clothed me. I mean, that's quite literally, you know, what my wife does to my infant son, right? Uh, When I was hungry, you feed me. When he was up and alone, you know, crying in the middle of the night, there you were to take care of me. And it's, you see Jesus in your neighbor. That's the beauty of vocation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Good. Well, great, great conversation. You have to, we'll pick it up next time. And and I keep talking about this uh, great article in the Augsburg Confession. So thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. For the latest from the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota, visit flbc.edu. God bless you and have a great week.